What's up, everyone, and welcome back to episode six of the Promptly Written Podcast. My name is Matt Garrick, and I'm joined by the one and only Ian Lewis. What's up, Ian? Uh, hey, man. <laughs> if you just... feel like we're, we haven't been here for a while. I know. It does seem like it's been a long time. I think we, we uh, had a bit longer break between the, the time we recorded this time around. So it's, yeah. it's good to be back. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, so if anybody out there has just joined us for the first time, uh, here's what we do. We pick a writing prompt, we write a story based on the prompt, and then we read them to you, and then we talk about them. Before we get to that, we always like to take a little bit of time at the beginning of the show to discuss whatever's going on. And today we have um, some follow-up from the last episode. We talked about a, um, a podcast that I had found. It was the Ezra Klein Show. And he had a science, fi- an award-winning science fiction author, N.K. Jemison, on there to do like a world-building workshop. And I thought it'd be cool if we both listened to it and um, and just kind of see what we got out of it. So, um, did you listen, Ian? I, I, I did. Um, I'm not f- familiar with either um, Mr. Klein or uh, Miss Jemison, but I, I did listen. I wasn't either, but I got to tell you, after just listening to her talk. I kind of want to try one of the books. Like, I'm not a huge science fiction guy, but like she said a lot of stuff that like made sense. And it sounded like she was very well-traveled, well-educated. I Like, I personally, I've never left the United States other than Canada. Me either. So, and I, and I, and I feel like Canada, like we're, we're, we're walking the same line. You know what I mean? There's sure. not, there's not a huge like culture shock when you, uh, when you cross the Canadian border or anything. So I just think that, because of all the different perspectives she's had, especially if you're in science fiction creating different races of people and and things like that, she has a lot more personal experience as opposed to maybe just what you know about other people from the media or television or movies or, you know, whatever like that. So I kind of want to give it a try. I'm not a big science fiction guy, but I, I don't know. Maybe that could change. I yeah, I guess I. I mean, I. I for whatever reason thought she was more of a fantasy author, but maybe, maybe, maybe I'm remembering wrong. I think a lot of what she said, um, kind of what you mentioned in, in the pre-show, um, was sort of common sense. Um, at least for me, it seemed that way. Uh, I think what resonated with me the most was her comment about, um, you know, you might develop your world to the nth degree, but, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, sure. but you only reveal a portion of it. Yeah, yeah, and that that's a that's a huge thing that is lost on I think a lot of amateur writers. I see it a lot um, on the fantasy writers subreddit where you can tell someone is so in love with the the world they've created, and and that's fine that you're that you love it. I mean that's that's part of your motivation to write the story. But when your love for that world kind of takes over and comes through in the narrative, um, it's it becomes sort of obvious that. You haven't written a good story. You've just developed the world, and that's kind of your thing. And there was a there was a um, a thread that that was specific to world building, and there was a comment on there um, by another user that I thought was spot on. And he or she said, "Your world building is not interesting by itself." And I was like, "That that's totally true. It it's one of those things where you can spend all this time creating this world, and if you haven't." created compelling characters or a good plot then it it's kind of a a, a waste it's not really anything 
than anyone's going to want to read. Right. It's 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 a it's like it's a big part of it. Like your your world has to be good, and I think uh, uh but your I mean everything else still has to fit. You can't just have an interesting world and that can't stand on its own. So I think I think you're right. I think that person was spot on, but I think that like there was one thing that that she said and um that. I think she emphasized over and over again is that like the world that you're creating, like you're comparing it to the world that we live in. Because if you're not, if you're not creating something that, that some, somebody else can relate to, it makes it that much harder to get in. So it's like, you just got to like take the world as we know it and then like change, like maybe like one thing. And if you start changing everything, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's I mean like the, it, the, it the current, the, the real, yeah, the real world is obviously the, the frame of reference. So it has to, it has to fit in that context, right? In some respects, it's always um, that you know, that what if everything's kind of going to be a carbon-based life form world. You know what I mean? Uh, sure. There's always going to be some, some grounding point. But um, I, I do think also that you know they they got into the weeds a little bit. Um, with regard to like how detailed and how, how much thought you put into it. And that's where I started to disagree a little bit uh, in the sense that you're, I, and I'm all for realistic writing. And, and I think that things need to make sense and you can't have glaringly obvious um, plot holes or holes, holes in your, the way your world works maybe. But at the same time, it, it it's fiction. And um, I don't think that you should feel obligated as a writer to explain away every last detail. Um, for example, the story, the story that I'm going to present today is, is an introduction to basically a new world or an alternate reality anyway, for a new novel that I'm writing. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's very much a Victorian colonial type setting with respect to technology and, and, uh, clothing and things like that. But Mm -hmm. I don't really feel compelled to, and I'll explain more later why this makes sense, but, I don't really feel compelled to to have an answer for why there's maybe gaslights but no steam powered locomotives because it's 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 a unique world that's evolved in, in in a way that's different than ours and so you know some people might have have an issue with that because they're they're trying too hard to ground it into the current world or the real world and and I, you know I think there's there, you get some freedom and artistic license with fiction just based on the fact that it's fiction. You know sure, I mean? as long as it still makes sense. So like, right, like so you're right. saying that in this world that you're presenting today that it like technology evolved in a different way. So was was there like were we on the same track at one point and then something changed? Essentially, yes, okay. which I don't know if we want to get into that detail so, now or no, not. No, no, we don't need to get into that now, but I think that that falls into kind of like the point she was making. It's just like it still has to be relatable. So you still have this point and it's like, oh, you know, it evolved this way because of this event or because right. of this decision or because of whatever, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I, I think they were talking agriculture maybe. Or I don't remember what the, the commentary was. Um, you know, she was trying to lead – climb through like the, the the exercise and there was at some point where i was like i feel like you're kind of overthinking it you know what i mean um yeah and i think it just to me to me it was like no one's ever going to care that much about it except for somebody who's like truly a stickler about world building and at that point 
are you really ever going to make that person happy anyway? I, I, I don't know. At the same time, though, I think that sometimes like I walk through stuff just so that I understand it, but it's never going to make it into the book. It's just so that I understand the characters and what the characters are dealing with. If that makes any yeah. sense. I, I think if just people would put as much effort into crafting good dialogue or a good plot or, or you know, really well-developed characters as they do their world building, they'd be a lot better off. I think everything just needs, and I think what it comes down to is everything just needs to be like really well-balanced. Like you still have to have good characters, You have to, but the, like the world has to be interesting. There has to be something about it that, that are going to make people like give a shit. Yeah, I mean, and it depends on the genre too. Like, I think with I've been spending a lot of time on the the fantasy stuff because I, I kind of feel like that's where this this book is going to fit mm-hmm. the best. But world building is like so in, in, um, intrinsic to to the fantasy genre. Um, some people love it, and some people don't love it as much. But it's it's sort of a, a fixture there. And whereas I would say, if you're writing murder mysteries, it's it's not the case. World building is is not important or as important rather. That's true. I mean, you just need to kind of like establish a basic world and then you're kind of off to the races because like we got to find out who done it. Right. Right. Cool. Well, I don't, you know, I don't think that I took as much out of it as I thought I was going to, but that being said, I also think that she also kind of, kind of guided his decisions a little bit just because they were doing a podcast and not like a day long writing workshop. Sure. So I was I was starting to get frustrated with that because he would say something and she'd be like, "Well, what if we did do what if we do it this way?" And I was like, "But that's not what he said. Like that's not his world, it's your world." But as she kept going, I kind of like loosened the reins a little bit because it's just like she didn't have 8 hours to do this. She had an hour. You know. So yeah. But anyways, I thought it was interesting and I I'm I don't think it was like a it was it definitely wasn't a waste of time. And if I was ever in a in a situation where I could attend one of her workshops in person, I might do it. Yeah, I guess for me the takeaway was you know, because of, you know, obviously she's successful at what she does um and you know, I'm still <laughs> you know, <laughs> ten, 10 years uh, of 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 writing. I'm 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 still, you know, obviously uh I think relatively unknown is is putting it a little too positively um, author, but uh, you know, to, 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 for the takeaway to be that, like I I I generally agreed with what she was saying, mm-hmm. and, and that made sense to me. Felt like I mean, you know, you're on the right path. I, I, I'm on the right path um, without having had to go on to one of her um, seminars or what or right. workshops, or whatever. Right. So I mean, I think that's all I really had for like the the like pre-story show today did you have anything else that it's kind of been on I your mean, mind or anything or i i think i mean i'm gearing up for a novel release and um today's story is sort of a glimpse into that this world because it's it's the first in this series this this book i mean we very we very selfishly said you know <laughs> we did f the I, listener <clears throat> like we're picking our own damn prompt so that you could um yeah i apologize for that no um, i like it because i, I actually i'm um We'll get into it later, but I think what I did today is actually um, spawning a novel as well. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really excited about this because it's, I you know, obviously you you live with the characters in the world and in the story for so long before it, it sees the light of day, and this was one of the ones that 
I saw so clearly in my head. And I'm like, if I could just mentally project this onto the movie screen, it, people would love it. I, or at least I, you know, that was my, my impression. And so, you know, the struggle then is trying to get that on paper so that the reader, the reader sees it and they never see it the same way you do. Um, but you hope that you can give them at least a glimpse or get their imagination going. And, uh, so in that respect, I'm excited and I'm, I'm like exhausted because I'm up every night doing editing and, and rereading and yeah, I'm, and that kind of thing. It, it's it's the not fun part of writing. I'm, um, I'm with you. This is the f- this is the first time I was like, maybe it would be worth the money just to pay someone else to do it. And, but. and the late nights are or even I don't know about you, but like late nights, it's hard for me to to really put everything into it. Once I start getting tired, I'm pretty much done. Yeah, I it it, it is rough, but you know I am I'm, I'm in the home stretch, and um, every time I have a new release, especially with a new series, it's like, I you know I don't have any pretense about what I think is gonna happen with it, but you always kind of have a hopeful like this is gonna be the one that catches on, sort of a thing. Sure. And I, I guess I have more positive, higher expectations rather for this one for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's as far as what I've written, maybe easier to define genre wise. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like the, the driver stuff, though I love it and it's my favorite thing that I've done is, is all over the map with regard to influence and genre and it's hard to nail down. I was thinking about it though. And I think it's, I mean, honestly, if, if you had to pick like a genre, like just a, a general genre, I think it's fantasy. I posed the question to the, to the people on Reddit and I got mixed reaction some people were like yes definitely it's fantasy and other people were like unless there's magic in it it's not fantasy which of course i disagreed with but um, um, I, I disagree with that too because I i've think... never i've never pushed it as fantasy and I, I i don't know maybe i should maybe should try that but yeah i don't know i just think because of the um there's fantastic elements in yeah it for sure. and, well and just because you're in that like realm you're in that in-between stage you know what i mean like i forget what did you, what did you actually call it? Like, what is the 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 upper territory? Yes, the upper territory is is a. Um, I mean, it's it's a parallel dimension, really, right? I mean, kind of. It's it's basically the this is in between state where murdered souls reside, basically. So, so I guess some people could call it limbo. Some people like might even go as far as to say it's almost like a purgatory type place, even though that's definitely different. But it's definitely got that same like. In between, sure. it's got the same, yeah, synonym, synonym kind of a thing, like a holding cell almost. Until you, until you either, you know, do your penance or find your soul or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, kind of, yeah. I mean, that would be the probably the analogy you, you could draw. And, but, and to um, me, like, say I was writing a story that took place in purgatory, like people would probably say that's well, that's religious fantasy, right? Well, maybe, yeah. I mean, it's. It's it's definitely got that aspect to it, but it's it, at the same time, although it's not horror or scary, it's got sort of ghost story elements to it, but it's also got murder mystery slash thriller elements it to could, it. I mean, it could probably sit like just, you could probably just label it mystery. Yeah, I mean, it's a little like, uh, I feel like there's hints of like rural noir in it too, and it's, there's a lot, and it, it was partly my fault because I in, intended to not write genre fiction with that series. Um, but it's very difficult to market um, for that reason. But you know, to kind of bring it back around, yeah, this yeah. new series is, I, I think, easier to, to to classify. And I'm taking some um, more obvious, or not obvious, but um, specific steps to try to have a better launch with it. So I've got like advanced readers lined up that will hopefully um, 
deliver on their 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 reviews and then so you're gonna so they're gonna get it before the release so that the reviews they've are there. already they already have it so okay. I, I I have about six or seven people who have the book with the idea that they'll provide a review the week of its release in April some at some point okay um and then you know obviously I'm gonna do you know obviously the podcast that's that's a that's a microphone right Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and then uh I, just other places where I uh, I'm you know maybe on Reddit I'll I'll try to you know you know, post it there and that kind of thing. So hopefully it'll have a little bit more visibility. I'm going to try to get on NetGalley also, drum up some reviews there. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Very cool. Um, so I think, I mean, you want to kick it off? Yeah, yeah, if you want. So this, um, I don't want to spoil the concept of the book um, too much. And in the story, um, even though I'm kind of billing it as fantasy, the, the story itself doesn't really give any nod to the fantastic this is simply just a peek into the world and you get just the the barest glimpse of the protagonist um to, to kind of wet wet your appetite so to speak uh but it's it, it just generically the premise is that you're that we're looking at an alternate version of north america okay and the the idea is that in the 1100s um oh, way back are you familiar with yeah you're familiar with alchemy yeah yep alchemy was like kind of like a proto science sort of absolutely you know the the roots of it kind of drifted into chemistry at some point, but there was a lot of like nonsensical, fantastic stuff that that obviously never came to fruition. But the idea is that man's pursuit of alchemy goes haywire, and there's mutations and um, loss of knowledge and culture, and uh, kind of plunges the world into darkness. And then you know, so basically, the world as we know it is the same up until the 1100s, and then things go very different. So I don't want to spoil anything, but when you say mutations, are you talking about human mutations or animal mutations or plant or all or all of the above? Got it. Fun. Yeah. So in a sense, it's like uh, if you were to take a set of ingredients, you know, and you bake a cake and you have the cake that kind of resembles the world as we know it, you take the same ingredients and maybe alter the ratio or turn up the temperature in the oven or leave it in too long, you know, you're going to get very similar results, mm-hmm. but something's going to be off. Something's going to be different. So it's, the world will be very recognizable in a sense, but um, time and place, you know, there'll be anachronisms and things like that. And, uh, you know, the order in which certain events happen or technology progress is all different. All right. Well, so, so I don't know, kick it off. Let's do it. Yeah, we'll do it. So the, this story is called The Bookkeeper. A slight man wearing a brown vest and dark green ascot stood before a grand bookcase. Each shelf was lined with dusty volumes whose loose, worn binding shared a number of muted colors, all patinaed with age. Burgess Fink eyed the spines with his round, wire-framed glasses as he absentmindedly fumbled with his ascot. His timid, dimple of a mouth silently sounded out the names of the books he scanned. The Side Street Murders. Legends of the Black Bay. The Chivalrous Fool. Tales of Damnation and Other Diversions. Fink stepped away from the bookcase, turning his head at the tinkle of the bell as someone entered the shop door behind him. Fink loved his books. He loved admiring them, handling their various hefts and breathing in the smells of their yellowed pages. And so, it pained him to tear his attention away in order to deal with the customer. Standing just within the doorway was a shop regular, a fastidious older gentleman whom Fink knew only by sight. Standing a bit over five feet tall, the gentleman bore rosy red cheeks, a well-manicured beard, and a black bowler hat. 
Fink pushed his glasses up the ridge of his nose using his index finger. He forced a professional smile, the kind filled with the correct balance of warmth and genialness, and suppressed the urge to avoid pulling his pocket watch from his vest to check the time. Hello, my friend. How are you this fine evening? The gentleman closed the door on the soft glow of the gas lights that had just switched on in the cobblestone street outside. He stepped a few paces onto the polished hardwood and paused to unbutton his greatcoat. I am well. His close-set eyes slightly widened, and his chin twitched with a mild anticipation. Have you procured some interesting reading for me? Fink grinned and motioned for the gentleman to follow. I have. Some of his customers had particular tastes and sought books of specific genres, some more exacting than others. The gentleman's preferences, though particular, weren't overly difficult to accommodate. He desired a mix of the uncanny, worldliness, and the thrilling. A spirit of adventure was ideal, yet there had to be room for level-headedness and rational conjecture. He didn't care for the lurid or tawdry, and so didn't require the discretion that other customers did. This way, please. Fink walked behind the small wooden counter which sat near the far corner. He reached under to the shelving hidden below and produced a stack of three books that he placed on top for the gentleman to inspect. The gentleman thumbed through the pages, perusing the text. Fink took the opportunity to fish out his watch and check the time. 7.50. With ten minutes to close, the burning, aching desire to lock the door and be on his way nearly consumed him. No. He checked himself, reining in his emotions. Tonight is special. Getting too far ahead of himself wouldn't do. I'll take them all, said the gentleman. Fink forced another grin. Very well. That will be fifty cents apiece. He pulled a few sheets of brown packing paper from under the counter and proceeded to neatly wrap the books with carefully creased folds. The man paid and then went on his way, the bell tinkling once more as he exited the shop. Fink returned to the bookcase once again. What shall it be? He agonized over which book to take with him, which book to fulfill his evening plans. He'd read them all so many times. He'd lost himself in their stories, carried along by winding narratives that took him far away from the gloomy city of Bridge. The only deficiency in the whole experience was he wasn't truly a part of those books. He eyed his pocket watch again, noting he only had a few minutes to go. There, he slid a thin book off the shelf that was titled The Beggar's Accomplice. It will do nicely. Placing it under his arm, Fink went about closing down for the day. Then he grabbed his frock coat and went out the door, locking it before striding down the narrow street. The damp evening had set in, and the click-clack of horse hooves sounded from all around as carriages maneuvered their way around pedestrians. The dismal stone of archways, buttresses, and pinnacles climbed into the dim sky before him. The harsh relief of carved edifices lined his periphery. Soon the dusky gloom of the city would give way to the dreary, nocturnal sway of the night. Fink hugged the book closer to his chest. He lingered over the beggar's accomplice so many times he practically memorized it. The mystery of the tightly woven plot, the layers of meaning, the surging climax where the protagonist thinks all is lost, Fink cherished each and every word. However, it was a pivotal point early in the book that never let him go once it took hold, a piece of prose so wonderfully constructed it shook him to his core. Yet no one had ever read it. No one had ever understood its brilliance. The book was forever lost, tucked away in Fink's shop until he nursed it back to health, and now it needed to be redeemed. It needed to be brought to life with every vicious detail. The killer's garrote, the blush of his prey, the gasps of fear, all of it. And therein lay Fink's idea, 
The masterstroke of his genius lay in the subtlety of it all. He could bring the narrative to life by living it himself. He'd never be closer to the writer's brilliance than that. Fink rounded the corner at a cross street and made his way toward the warm glow of lantern-lit windows over which a sign read, Walker's Public House. He entered the wooden door of the pub and stepped into the murmur of conversations and clinking glassware. Patrons sat at rectangular tables with pints of ale in hand, men in dark jackets, some wearing cravats and top hats, and a few women with bustles and corsets. It was a finer establishment as far as pubs went, and Fink knew he could operate without undue attention from some grimy laborer who'd see him for the studious, refined man that he was. He needed to be inconspicuous. Fink sauntered his way to the bar where the barkeep stood wiping a pint glass with a white rag. He nodded and placed one hand on the counter. House stout, please. The barkeep's handlebar mustache rode up and down his lip as he spoke. Right away, friend. That'll be a ten-bit. Fink produced a ten-cent piece from his pocket and placed it on the bar. Then he waited for his drink to be poured before retiring to a quiet table in the rear. From there, he observed the patrons as he sipped at his pint. He flipped open the beggar's accomplice and scanned for the scene in question. He wanted to be under the influence, not of the alcohol, but of the book itself. That's when he saw her. A woman with dainty lace around her neck sat unoccupied at a table. Her cheeks were rouged, and her hair was done up in a bun. All but two of her companions had left, and they drifted away in whatever conversation amused them. Fink analyzed her, crafting a synopsis of her character. Innocent, unassuming, a bit timid, perhaps. The off-white blouse tucked into her ankle-length skirt spoke of humble means. She's perfect. He continued to watch her, careful to avert his eyes when others might notice his focus, but never once hiding his attention from her. She caught his leer several times, quickly looking away, her eyes dodgy and uncertain. Fink continued to bore into her. The emotional discomfort was part and parcel of the narrative. The anxiety was necessary for the build-up to the scene's climax. It wasn't long before the woman said her goodbyes to her companions and excused herself from the table. Fink swore he could detect a trace of worry in the snippet of conversation he picked up from her. She made a hasty retreat for the door and went out into the night. Fink made a point of remaining seated for a reasonable number of seconds before he too stood and made his exit. He crammed his book into the left pocket of his coat, meanwhile reaching his free hand into the right pocket. He felt the strand of piano wire and it reassured him. It sat tangled among the other implements he'd gathered over the last month, those things from stories that swirled around his imagination. He didn't know which he'd need until he'd selected the book. He saw the woman ahead of him, cutting her way in between others on the street. She looked over her shoulder once, arms wrapped around herself to keep out the chill. He wondered if she saw him. Yes, the way she increased her pace, the way her gait wobbled with uncertainty. He knew he'd achieved the desired effect. Veering near the street, he matched her pace as he steered her toward the inside of the walk. The swell of carriage traffic was fortuitous as it caused the flow of other pedestrians to follow suit, pressing her further. The woman had no choice but to drift down a long, narrow alleyway when she once again saw him closing in. She nearly tripped doing so, and the fear that set into her drawn face was unmistakable. Fink's stomach swirled. It was all he could do to suppress the giddy feeling inside. The scene was perfect, so picturesque. Never in a hundred attempts could he have framed a narrative so perfect. The low light, the way the shadows fell long across the path, the refuse littering the way, and the attempted escape. He jogged toward her now, timing it so that he would catch her just at the other end of the alley, right when hope would shine the brightest before he would yank her back into the darkness and extinguish it.
He pulled the piano wire from his pocket, thinking about how it would feel stretched taut around her throat. Yet something was off. The depth of shadow seemed to deepen, and there was an unwavering sense of being watched. There was the flap of a heavy fabric and a pregnant pause of anticipation. But of what? Fink didn't know. A brief surge of panic seized him when he realized the sound came from above. He stumbled to a halt and looked up, after which he immediately ducked. A dark figure had leapt from the rooftop above. A single, imposing, dominating figure that consumed Fink's view of the sky. Spread out behind the figure were the billowing, shadowy folds of a cowl that blotted out the moon. Then Fink felt the jarring thud of boots against his skull. He collapsed onto the cold stone pathway, wincing against the searing pain. But before he could get up, a pair of rough hands grabbed him and lifted him to his feet. Fink blinked to get the tears from his eyes as the man pinned him up against the wall. Then Fink saw him. The stern brow and stubborn jaw. A bearded face so grim and intense it was as though the man saw through him. A hulking physique bound with raw athleticism. The charcoal gray cow shrouding him like a cape. It was the Reeve. Fink peered into the Reeve's face, at once terrified of what the man might do. His mind launched itself into the fantastic narrative he'd kindled for himself. He was the beggar's accomplice now, that frail character about to be tried on the scales of rough justice and left wanting. The protagonist only had to snap him like a matchstick to bring the narrative to a close. Then he remembered the Reeve was a lawman and was obligated to operate within proper bounds. Fink's immediate fear relented as the Reeve spun him around and tied his hands with cord. He watched the wisp of the woman's skirt as she disappeared around the corner and his heart sank. You're under arrest, Mr. Fink, the Reeve said with a firm voice. Fink's shoulder slumped. He could already taste the insipid porridge served inside the jail. He could feel the cold of the stone floor. Yet the dread of captivity didn't bother him as much as one thing. He sheepishly looked up at the brooding man hovering over him. My books... Will you bring them to me? The end. Huh. What do you think? I have so many questions. Well, that's yeah. so many questions, but like you said that that one of these is the is the protagonist? Yeah, I would think that's obvious, right, at this point. Well, I'm hoping it's Fink, but then it's Fink, right? No. It's the reason. Yes, yeah, Fink's yeah. the okay, bad guy, so, man. Yeah. But I was what I was intrigued by Fink because I'm going through it the whole time, and I'm like, wow, he's literally pulling inspiration from his life out of these books. So to me, him wanting the books is him wanting to search through the books to figure out how what what his next move is. Is that not the case? He just wants what's so when we say he. Who are you talking Fink. about? So he's he's looking to commit or perpetrate a crime Correct. to relive the narrative in the book that he read. Correct. Yeah. So at the end, he wants his books. Is that just because he's super possessive of his books, or is that because he needs to figure out what to do next because he can only frame his actions based on the book? That's an interesting concept. So I, how much do you want me to talk now? That's a, Okay, so wait. That's up to you. Because like... You said okay, so you said one. No, I mean, I mean, do you want to have the discussion about the book now, or do you want to read yours? That's first? up to you. Well, uh, uh, we've already started. Let's just go. Might Let's well. just go with it. So go ahead. So I don't know if it's obvious, but there's some um, with the Reeve, uh, the way he operates in the, this last couple of paragraphs. There's some 
I would think some obvious Batman connotations. Here. I have in my notebook right here. It says Victorian Batman question mark colon or colon the Reeve, and then I said no because he's a lawman. So I I've always been fascinated with the Batman universe. Absolutely, as you should. Yeah, I can't explain why, but to me, it's like far above my my favorite superhero and kind of little superhero universe. But there, there's a lot of Batman influences in, in this concept, but um, and it's a little heavy handed probably in this story. But he's not a vigilante. The character is um, essentially a sheriff type character. Uh, the 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 word sheriff is actually derived from the uh, the term Shire Reeve. Oh, okay. And so I kind of went with the, the term the Reeve to 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 define his title. Um, but in what I wanted to do, uh, which will sort of be in the second book, um, I start to introduce some of the characters in the first. But this Burgess Fink will be sort of um, one of the rogues gallery type characters. So Batman sort of has his rogues gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, the Re- the Reeve will have um, some of these pesky characters that uh, will serve as as villainous type type of people. Um, and Burgess Fink actually does not appear in the first book. I created him for this story, and he but will he, will, be he back. will appear in the second book. Yes. Okay, because I like I'm 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 fascinated by him because I I just think the I think he's a really good. He has a Batman villain type feel to him. I think, um, which was sort of intentional. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it seems like he needs that inspiration from others or from like the fantastical events of like this book or whatever to give so, him the courage <laughs> to do what he wants to 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 do. Yeah, so thing. what you're saying is really kind of timely because pre-show we were talking about whether other people's comments on your work ever like frame your characters or make you change things. Mm-hmm. And my intent with this character was not so much that he couldn't make decisions without the book. Mm-hmm. But I, I like that idea. So I think maybe what could happen is he progresses as a villain if I continue to use him that you know, he starts out sort of like tampering or dabbling in it and then maybe gets to the point where he's so obsessed with it that he, he can't make a decision without a book. It's kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, no, I, I, and that's, that's like my mind was racing because I was just like, this is, I was like, this is just fascinating. Yeah, I, I really I really liked his concept. Um, I also like the idea of, although I, I kind of hinted at it, but I didn't really explore it so much. There wasn't enough room, but the idea of a story within a story I like a lot. Mm-hmm. I kind of played with it a little bit in the second Driver book, but I, I, I have a grandiose idea, and it's very abstract for a novel that sort of like is about another novel. And I know that probably other people have done it and probably done it better, but it just have like this idea where you'd have... Um, you know, sort of like this really compelling story that occurs within the actual story, but you wouldn't get all of it, but you'd get enough of it that you're like, you desperately want to find the book as bad as the people in the book do, Sure. but you never actually get it. And I'm like, that's sort of like my, would maybe be my, my magnum opus someday is that if I get, if I could get that kind of effect achieved out of a, out of a book, but so I have I have one question about the book just like as a whole and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to if it's going to spoil too sure. much but like is this going to be from like is the book from the perspective of like the people that the Reeve is pursuing or is it from the Reeve's perspective as he searches for some or as, as he as he like you know um, fights crime if you will. So it's not even a book about fighting crime um, like I said the, the, there is the Batman influence but it, but it's not about um 
really that. There, there, there's a, but he's our like the Reeve is our main character. He is like he's we the main him. character. We follow his point of view. There's there's technically th- technically three points of view in the story, but really for the most part, it's only two okay. throughout the whole book. But but it's uh, obviously being that he's a lawman or, or a peace officer. Um, you know, there's it's sort of like I said, it's sort of an alternate alternate reality. Um, there's there will be some subtle Western influences. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of comes in with him being a sheriff type character, and he has some deputies. And sure, but it, but it's also um, takes place in this gothic city, basically. And it's uh, what's fun about it is that it's it's basically in an alternate version of Northeast Ohio. So I love it. This gothic city sits on the shores of Lake Erie. Um, it, but everything has different names, obviously. Sure. And uh, I like it. There's there's some Easter eggs if you know your your local history in there. So so there's going to be um, some I, stuff which for me will to be grab. lost on most people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of it's awfully obscure. You really maybe would have to know the local county history, but gotcha. but it'll be fun to discuss after the fact, I suppose. But but there there's there's that aspect. There's there's some fantastic aspects to it that, um, you know, obviously with the mutations and that kind of thing. And oh, oh I'm excited um, sort about of this po- this post alchemy world. I'm excited about yeah. the mutations. So, um. I, I do have just a couple of real nitpicky type things just because of our world building thing. So I just want to know if like yeah, this was intentional right. or not. But we're in the 1100s. Is that correct? No. So that's something I didn't reveal, I guess, in the story. Okay. So this is actually 2017. Okay. Never mind then. Okay. So every so, so the world the world has gone a different route and sort of where it's sort of present day for us in the sense okay. of like it's 2000. Well, not to that literally 2017, but present day and then uh i think in the story i have it set as 2017 because that's when i started writing it but it's obviously technology is not current, current okay because day. i think we mentioned like 1100s early earlier and I, that just stuck in my head yeah so when when you were dropping like the prices of the books like at 50 cents i was like wow that sounds like really freaking expensive for the year 1100 yeah. um yeah so scratch that because that you just answered that the, this one is just is just I don't know why this popped into my head, but it did. But when you described the woman, I can't remember if you named her. I didn't write the name down. I did not. So, but she was in dainty lace, and it was like you described her like long thing, and you were like, and it suggested that she came from humble means. Okay, yeah. so inconsistent. No, yeah. no, I was just no, I was curious if we were in a world. Where this like influenced his decision was he like looking for a poor girl because nobody would miss a poor girl, like kind of like a. Uh, I don't know. I never thought about that okay. too much. I just was thinking of somebody who looked like they'd be an easy target. Maybe I was just curious, and I was re- I just had to read a thing for the nonfiction uh, for a non for a nonfiction workshop, and it was like back in the day, you know that 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 kind of prejudice existed, and I mean. You know, if oh you think, yeah, I didn't even think about think it of like like bum fights or, or or whatever, like the homeless and the poor are like a super easy target. You know, yeah, this so was. I was just curious more, if that I mean, was a conscious decision or if that just played out. That no, because he was in a he was in a you know he what he thought was a finer establishment as far as pubs okay. went, not like sort of like the the white collar pub per se, but or, or the or the blue, the blue collar pub per se, but um, this woman still would. You know, sort of maybe be on the fringe of, um, you know, not affluent, but um, I just maybe it was the the wrong way to to characterize her. But it was just I was just trying to paint the picture of she's like sort of this timid, you know, girl that maybe would be easily manipulated or stepped upon, kind of a thing. I, I, I think know. I was probably reading more into it than I needed to, but it just kind of popped into my head because that's something that I had um, I'd thought about recently. Yeah, g- given the nature of the of these flash fiction stories, I. 
you don't you don't you don't overthink them too much, I guess. So I, I you know, when you're writing it, I guess is sure. what I'm getting at. So yeah, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. really think about it that yeah. hard. Gotcha. No, cool. I think this is this is great. I I I'm excited about the Reeve. I'm excited for I'm I'm real excited for this uh, Fink guy to come back in book two. Um because I Yeah, think, I, I really liked him. He was a pleasant yeah, surprise. No, that was fun. Yeah, I can't well so I mean we'll throw this out again later, but since we're talking about it now, what do you have a release date for the book? I so I'm hesitant to nail down a release date because I don't have my cover yet. I'm oh, like, okay, well we'll leave it at that. But it's in April, right? Yeah, dangerously. Cl- it should be April. Um, once I have a release, or once I have my cover, I'm going to get a pre-order set up. Um, at which point I'll know my release date. But it will, it should be April unless things go terribly wrong. Fantastic. Well, awesome. I'm excited about it. I will. Uh, I'll be clicking that pre-order button as soon as I can. Nice. All right. Well, I, I'm I'm terrified about what you what you're going to give me today because it's been it's been two months since somebody died. I, I I struggled a little bit when we came up with when you came up with this prompt, but I was like I could. I yeah, we didn't we didn't say the prompt yeah, again. We, we forgot, forgot that. the prompt. So, <laughs> I mean, it's the title of the episode. You people have seen it, but we'll just throw it out there. It's under the influence. So and and I really I mean, wow. It was just I I love think. I'm sorry. He was under the influence of the of the fiction that he was so obsessed with. Of the yes, book. it was great. Yep. Now, oh, another question before I go. The Beggar's Accomplice, is that a real book or did you make that up? I made it up as well as the other titles you referenced okay. earlier. I was just wondering. So, <laughs> I can't believe we forgot to give him the prompt again. You it's, like yeah, it's, yeah like, it's like you like the <laughs> the villain better than the the protagonist. That's interesting. Well, I mean, he was just I, I don't know, for whatever that's a really compelling character trait that whole like seeking and I mean I I guess there's a there's a whole underlying narrative there about how the media influences people's actions. But again, never thought about that. But, but just trying to think of a <laughs> an imbalanced, slightly skewed so, type of Batman-esque villain. You know, that, yeah, uh, would would hang out with a Mad Hatter, maybe. Sure, like, I don't know. Wow. Yeah. No, I'm excited. I'm excited. All right. So yeah, you were saying it's it's been a couple since I've gotten so I went dark and um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that what I'm about to give you is back into that like. Um, I don't know. How would you describe those first few stories I did in terms of like, um, genre? I, whatever whatever hostile is. <laughs> whatever hostile is. Like, like, can, can uh, you put, like, if I release this novel, can straight, you... Straight-faced can horror? I, a, I, I guess I don't I know. Get, like a little tagline from Ian Lewis on the back cover that says, this is whatever hostile is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I was... You said under the influence, and I was sitting there, and I really like I was going back and forth, and I've had this, um, I've had this really, really like twisted, like it's I'm not even going to say borderline offensive because like to a certain segment of readers it would be absolutely offensive idea, and I figured that like I didn't want to write that for the podcast, you know, sure. but um maybe I could like take a step into that world. So like I started I started going and just trying to figure out who the characters were and then I actually ended up like doing a total 180 from what I had originally intended to do with these characters. But throughout the process of reading this story I felt like 
I couldn't stop thinking about these characters. Like I, I, I've, I've started documents just like writing about the characters' past and that's awesome. and everything like that. So, um, it, it's, I mean, this is what you need. Like once you get an idea that takes hold, you're, you're done. Like you have to. You know write what it. I struggle with is like while I'm writing this in this, I'm also writing nonfiction. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, and it's it's hard. It's it was hard for me to go back and forth. Like so, like I was writing a pretty like um, and borderline depressing nonfiction piece because I'm a uh, you know I'm a photographer for a children's hospital, so I did a nonfiction right. piece about one of the um, post mortem photo shoots I did with a like a neonate, you know, a premature baby born into the NICU, never left the NICU, and I had to go do the photo shoot post mortem. Post mortem. So it was like it took me back into this really weird place, and then I was trying to write fiction that was like fun, and like it was just it was it was too much of a contrast for me to go back and forth like that. But so when I when I started doing the next nonfiction thing, I picked I picked an event that was a little more lighthearted, and it actually put me in the in the frame of mind to get this out there. So it's it's I struggle going back and forth between the fiction and nonfiction. Yeah, I'll be done with the nonfiction uh, stuff in at the end of this month. And then I'll be back to straight fiction, and I think I'll be in that mindset a little more regularly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyways, I, I fell like in love with these characters. And then as I broke it down, I figured out that like one of these characters is essentially me. In, in a, at, 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 Interesting. At, it's me at like the core. And like I'll, I'll explain it more when we're done because I don't want to give anything away. But... um. It's going to be interesting. I mean, and I'm excited about it. I think this this might actually end up being the the novel I work on for my thesis. Yeah. Cool. I'm yeah. excited. So, Let's okay. hear it. So today's story is called A Shift in Habit. Sounds very literary. <laughs> Hold that thought. All right. Father Gabriel clutched at the rosary beads wrapped around his hands, bowing slightly and smiling as the last of the parishioners filed out the front doors of the church. He waited for the headlights of their car to flash and twisted the lock closed as they opened the doors to their vehicle. As they turned out of the lot, he pulled the cord allowing the blinds to fall, blocking the majority of light that came in through the glass doors. He walked through the narrow reception area and back into the sanctuary. The room was empty save for a couple of altar boys already changed back into their street clothes that were combing the pews to make sure all the hymnals had been returned to their dedicated racks. He stopped a genuflect as he approached the altar and stepped up onto the white carpeted surface. He made his way to the chair next to the tabernacle and retrieved his well-tattered Bible, stopping once more to perform the sign of the cross. Just off the back of the sanctuary, there was a small staging room that exited to the parking lot. This is where the ushers prepared, as well as where the priests and altar boys' robes were stored. Gabriel made quick work out of shedding the robe, leaving the trademark all-black wardrobe of a stereotypical priest, white collar and all. He grabbed his Bible and hit the lights as he stepped out into the cool autumn air, locking the door behind him. It wasn't terribly cold, but the wind didn't do him any favors. He made the short walk to the rectory in good time, clutching the Bible to his chest to prevent it from blowing away. A particularly strong gust came just as he crossed the threshold of his home, and he had to use a little extra force to get the door closed. The rectory was a long building that ran parallel to the sanctuary. A narrow hall ran down the middle with rooms of various purpose offshooting from either side. 
The little light provided came from a few small table lamps placed strategically in the space. The light passing through the stained glass lampshades cast ominous shadows that danced on the walls as Gabriel passed through. At the end of the hallway lied a small set of stairs leading into a large room that had become junk storage over the years. Boxes lined the front walls while two wide sets of mismatched closet doors took up all the right. In the far left corner sat an octagonal poker table, left over from a Las Vegas charity night a few years back. It was scattered with playing cards, poker chips, and a couple of strategically placed ashtrays that were filled with cigar butts. Gabriel pulled up a chair and placed his Bible down in front of him. He opened the cover and pulled a small golden box from a cavity that had been carved out of the interior pages. From the box, he had removed a small aluminum cylinder, which he dumped onto the felt of the table, leaving a small pile of white powder. He grabbed the closest card to him, the King of Hearts, and used it to divide the pile into three equal lines. He checked both pant pockets and patted the breast pocket of his shirt. All empty. He sat dejected for a moment before it hit him. Smiling, he snatched his white priest's collar and rolled it into a small tube. He placed it near his nose and leaned forward, inhaling deeply to allow the powder to work its magic. He looked to the sky, giving thanks, as he wiped his nose with his thumb and index finger. He leaned forward with his sight set on the second line when the doorbell rang. His lips curled as he made short work of the line before standing and heading towards the door. Just as he was about to hit the top stair, he was stopped by the sound of metal clanking. A muffled voice cried out from the rear of the room. He checked his watch as the doorbell rang for the second time. Hold on, he shouted from the hallway. I'll be right there. He spun around on his left foot and swiftly crossed the room to the far closet. The antique sliding doors met in the middle. He grabbed the brass handles and pushed the aged oak doors apart as if it led into a grand ballroom and revealed the source of the ruckus. In the center of the small space was another priest, donned in black, strapped into a wheelchair. He stopped struggling at the sight of Gabriel, and his muffled screams faded into silence. The room was bare except for the wheelchair and an IV pole, which currently held an empty bag. The pump was beeping softly, and a small red LED labeled Alarm was flashing. Ah, here's the problem. You need a refill. He stepped backward out of the room and moved laterally to the adjacent closet, opening the doors in less dramatic fashion than before. It was lined with shelves stacked with more nondescript boxes similar to the others that filled the back room, except for the one shelf in the middle that was bare, other than one lone clear bag. He grabbed it and stepped back over to his guest. This was the last one, but don't worry. There's more on the way, he said as he hung the new bag next to the old one. After sliding off the roller clamp to prevent excess air from entering the tubing, he disconnected the empty bag and connected the new one, breaking the seal of the fresh batch of propofol. Don't worry, big brother, said Gabriel in a cold and wavering tone. You'll sleep soon. The prisoner looked up his captor and tears began to well in his eyes. Gabriel's features had always been strikingly similar to his own, and even though they were just over a year apart, they had always been mistaken for twins when they were younger. The two men locked eyes for an extended moment before Gabriel slowly slid the closet doors closed. A small gap between them allowed a thin strip of light to remain on his brother's face. Justin watched as Gabriel walked out of his range of sight and left the room. It's weird, he thought. Normally, I'd be out again by now. He struggled to move his head around, managing to get enough leverage to see the pump. No alarm. His eyes followed the tubing and widened as he saw the line was still clamped off. His mind began to race. The Lord had provided him this opportunity and he could not waste it. 
It's too bad the Lord couldn't undo some leather straps. He tried to twist his hands to reach the buckle, but to no avail. Gabriel opened the front door, and a group of three men stood huddled together. Two of them donned long leather jackets, while the other was clad in hospital scrubs and holding a black duffel bag. Steam filled the air around them as they exhaled into the chill of the night. Gabriel thought it must have dropped at least 10 degrees in the past 20 minutes. Well, if it isn't my evening prayer group, please, come in. Sorry to keep you waiting. The man in the scrubs was the first to speak. Fuck you, asshole, he laughed. The hell took you so long? Gabriel put his finger to his lips. Hush, my child. One must not curse in the Lord's house. He stepped aside and motioned them in. The men filed past, with the man in blue bringing up the rear. Gabriel clasped the man's shoulder and lowered his voice to just above a whisper. Especially not with the door wide open, dickhead. He swung the door closed and laughed as they made their way to the back, no one noticing that the lock didn't fully catch, leaving the door slightly ajar. Already two-thirds of the way down the hall, they also failed to notice a slight, shadowy figure slip in silently and duck into the first room to the right off the main corridor. So you never did say what took you so long? Are you back here beating the bishop? The men gathered around the table. This line proved to be a hit with the latest entrance to the room, but Gabriel remained stone-faced. No, someone gotten a little restless and needed to be calmed down. Speaking of which, I'm running a little low on his medicine. You have anything for me, Pete? Sure do, boss. He held up the duffel bag and gave it a firm pat. Nothing here for about another week. Gabriel smiled and was about to speak, but Pete cut him off. I'm getting a little worried. You can do some serious damage to him if you're not careful. You don't want to kill your brother, do you? Gabriel slammed his fist down on the tabletop, startling all the men into silence and disrupting the single line of coke that still remained. The three sat wide-eyed as they waited for him to continue. He scanned the group solely before sitting tidying up his line, and clearing the powder from the table. He unrolled his makeshift straw and placed it back into his collar before gathering the cards and starting to shuffle. All right, pass the plate and ante up. Justin watched in horror as the men used an old collection plate to collect the buy-in, placing it at the center of the table. His chances of escape had just been reduced exponentially, and with no use of his arms or legs, he resolved a prayer. Asking ye shall receive, right? Gabriel passed the cards to the man on his left with one word. Deal. The man scratched his beard and worked his way out of his leather coat, allowing it to fall on the chair behind him. He picked up the cards and did as he was instructed. So Gabe, you get that penguin to show your fun bags yet? The man who refused to shed his leather snorted. Jesus, Jim, what the fuck? They're all like a hundred. Gabriel laughed as he took inventory of his cards. Nah, there's a diamond in the rough. She can't be more than thirty. You can tell she tries, but there's no hiding a sweet rack like that. I wouldn't mind seeing exactly what she has underneath that habit. Sister Mary Catherine, who had made her way down the hall and now sat just out of the sight of the poker group, suddenly became very self-conscious and pulled her light sweater tight around her chest. She braved a look around the corner and surveyed the room before backing away into the closest room to her. It appeared to be a sitting room that couldn't have been used too often. She stirred up a cloud of settled dust as she moved behind an old red velour couch and had to hold her nose, praying that she wouldn't sneeze. It passed, and she pulled a cell phone out of the pocket in her habit. She typed out a short text message. Make the call. Within seconds, a phone began to ring. Gabriel sighed heavily as he moved to the phone that hung on the wall just next to the archway leading into the room. He rolled his eyes in disdain at the others as he listened to the voice on the other end. I see, sighed Gabriel. 
I just need a few minutes to get my things together and I'll head right over. He listened for another beat as he pulled a small notebook and pencil from his pocket. Room 306, bed 2. I'll look for Mrs. Johnson when I get there. Yeah, you too. God bless. He hung up the phone and returned the notebook to his pocket before turning back to the table. Party's over, fellas. He motioned toward the chips scattered across the table. I'd like to thank you all for your generous donation to the church, he grinned. Now piss off. The fuck, cried Pete as he checked his watch. There's still another 45 minutes left in our session. Yeah, well, not today. Seems like Dick Johnson's luck has just about run out. He's requested last rites. Duty calls, I'm afraid. Jim snorted. Probably should get a real priest for that, eh? He said as he punched Gabe in the arm. You even know how to fake that? Gabe gave Jim a look that instantly backed him down. His eyes were like fire. It's under control. Don't forget, I was damn near done with seminary before I decided I'd rather chase tits, ass, and cash over the Holy Spirit. Now do me a solid and get the hell out of my house. The other two had already stood and Gabe started to nudge the three of them down the hall. Just keep laying low and we'll be out of this thing soon. He turned to Pete. Thanks again for the meds. That should be the last batch. Pete nodded. It has to be. We're already at the point where we could be doing some serious damage. He'll be fine. But Gabe, it's not meant to be. Shut up already, he yelled before immediately lowering his voice. It's under control. Pete turned to face forward and Gabe followed him and the others out the front door. Sister Mary Catherine slowly released the breast she had been holding. She couldn't believe that it worked. She just needed to wait long enough to make sure they were really gone. The hospital was only ten minutes away, but hopefully the Johnsons would stick to the plan and keep him occupied for a while. Should be okay. That woman's a talker. Justin heard the door slam and let out a sigh of relief. He was still in quite the pickle, but at least he didn't have to worry about making noise. He started to jerk his hands and feet out, trying to get the leather to give, but it didn't seem to do anything at all. He wrenched his entire body in frustration before letting out a howl of desperation. A lone tear rolled down his cheek. Catherine was brought out of her reflection by the sounds of rattling. She thought it was a figment of her imagination, but then she heard a muffled cry. Could he be awake? No longer concerned with blowing her cover, she rushed to the closet and threw the doors open. Justin's face was now streaked with tears, his eyes blood red. He looked up at Catherine with the eyes of a lost puppy, ready to give up hope. He immediately lowered them, ashamed of his current state. Father Jay, cried Catherine. You're awake. The pure joy in her voice perked him up a bit. She grabbed a corner of the piece of duct tape that covered his mouth and hesitated. I'm really sorry about this, she said as she ripped the tape off in one fluid motion. Justin grunted a bit, but honestly, it hadn't hurt as bad as he thought it would. He stretched his mouth as wide as he could and licked his lips before smacking them together. He looked up to see Catherine watching him intently. Sorry. She threw her arms around him and squeezed tightly. Thank God you're okay. She stepped back to perform a sign of the cross before going in for another hug. He noticed that she was carrying a little more in the chest region than he had noticed before. When did I stop noticing things like this? She stepped back and began to work on the straps holding his wrist to the chair. She freed the right first, then the left before moving down to his feet. He repeatedly stretched and clenched his fingers, almost as to remind himself how they worked. How did you find me? he asked as he lifted his right foot in the air. Hold that thought. She finished the strap on his left foot and pulled her buzzing phone from her habit. She tapped the screen and put it eagerly to her ear. Yep, it's a go, and he's awake! She grabbed the tubing attached to his arm. Looks like he forgot to reopen the clamp when he changed the bag. Hold on. Let me check. Can you walk? 
Justin tapped his feet rapidly on the wheelchair's footplate. I think so. He started to push himself off, but Catherine stopped him. Wait! She lifted his right hand and disconnected the tubing from the cannula that had been fueling his naps. Okay, now try. He pushed himself up and planted his right foot on the floor. His leg gave way, causing him to fall right into Catherine's arms, knocking the phone to the ground. She was surprisingly strong and held him with ease. She laughed to herself as she slowly lowered him back into his chair and picked up her phone. That would be a no, she chuckled. Pull the van around and we'll meet you out front. Justin watched her as she talked. The commotion had caused her habit to bunch up, revealing more of her shape than he was accustomed to seeing. He was unable to look away. What is going on here? There was an awkward moment of silence after she hung up the phone and followed his eyes to her chest. She shimmied her habit back into its proper position and kicked the wheel locks on the chair free, knocking him out of his haze. She moved around to the back of the chair, and after having a little issue navigating the stairs, they beelined it down the hallway. The church's van was waiting outside the door, and Dan, the volunteer who picks up the seniors for bingo night, helped Justin out of the chair and into a seat through the sliding side door. He collapsed the chair with ease and tossed it into the very back, slamming the hatch with authority. He jumped into the driver's seat and threw the van into gear as Catherine was still getting herself buckled. The tires squealed as they peeled out of the parking lot. Interesting. So, <laughs> the second you said priest, like in the first <laughs> sentence, I'm like, uh, I'm like, because I know, I know your history, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I'm like, uh, I'm like, oh no, where's this gonna go? You talked about you know being offensive or whatever, and uh, I was like, I was like, what is? And you said that you know there's a character that is very much you. I'm like, I'm like, where? Like I, I think I know where this is gonna go, but it, it, it okay, didn't. so I, or at least hasn't yet. I don't know. What okay, your so here's do, the thing. the The offensive story I will tell you offline. Like, after we're done okay. recording, I'll tell you what I was going to do. And I still might do it, but it's not going to be part of this. Just because I can't, I can't get it All out right. of my freaking head. Um, as far as who is me, um, and, and, like, it's, it's really, like, you know, obviously I'm not a priest. I've never been to seminary, like, anything like that. Um, I, but I think I am at the core of Justin. Okay. So, essentially... Uh, people generally associate like, let, let's just say like finding God with like a new life. You know, like the term born again is is kind of like pretty straightforward, right? Like people find sure. Jesus, they start over and that's like, it's, it almost becomes like their identity. It's how they view themselves. They view themselves from a whole new perspective. God damn it, I just hit my microphone. They just, they just view themselves from like a whole, and the world from a whole different perspective, right? Essentially, mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. quite the opposite. And I think that's what I want Justin to be. So as opposed to I need to find Jesus or I need to find religion or I need to find anything, it's more I need to escape this in order to be able to find myself. Interesting. So essentially, just for just like real like broad overview, I went to Catholic school through seventh grade. I started public school in eighth grade, and when I walked into that public school building, I felt like an entire world like had been hidden from me. Like I just felt so isolated in my previous little world that it's like I almost couldn't even begin to discover who I was until I was outside of those walls. And I think that's what I'm going to do with Justin. Like right now, we saw just a, a real little glimpse of like he's – He's taking interest in the opposite sex. 
you know, and that's mm-hmm. something that he had never. I mean, it's 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 been so far pushed out of his life that like it's going to cause him to be like. I don't know. I think that's just kind of like almost like the catalyst. Like, what am I even doing here? So. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So there, there seems to be a whole nother dimension to this though, with, with his, with Correct. his brother. And it sounds like he's running some kind of a scam. Yes. Um, and so that, I mean, that, that's a whole nother can it of really worms there. Is. So I said that this would be part like, um, would work its way into a novel. This is probably like mm-hmm. inciting incident, like end of the first act. So we're like in the middle, like the, you know, we're a decent amount of time into the book. This isn't like chapter one. This is like chapter eight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, in the novel, we would um, we would get everybody's background. We would figure out what, what Gabriel's up to, what Justin's deal is. Um, and then... Yeah, I actually, I wrote approximately another 800 words that I did not include with the podcast because I was already like way over our generally understood 2,000 word uh, limit. Mm-hmm. So I do have a little bit more. Um, so do you, do you have it thought out like what Gabriel is up to or is it just sort of? You know he's doing something, but you haven't even I, got that I, I kind of know what he's up to. Okay. I know what he's up to. I know I know what happens to, to them as they leave this. Um... God, I really want to – I really kind of want to talk more about where it immediately goes, but I think we'll just have to save that for a different day. Well, I mean, you, you definitely provided um, the, the sufficient level of um... – reason to keep reading so to speak uh you know you you created some some stakes Mm -hmm. right um Mm -hmm. sort of a there's some mystery to it because we don't know why things are happening and then obviously there's you know the dynamic you implied that will be between um catherine and and justin and that kind of thing so you've got a lot to work with so it's definitely good material and obviously the you know a lot of people um have you know sort of that Catholic background, whether they're still in it or not, and so I think that there would be some something to relate to for those. So people I was as well. a little worried that I threw a little too much, like a little too much Catholic in there. But you know, like I said, like that was my world for like the first thirteen years of my life. So it's like right. I have the experience, so I might as well try to be as at least as accurate as my memory allows. Like it read very I mean, accurate. I, um, um, I did have to look up some things. Like I was a little concerned. Like I'm still trying to figure out some things. Like I was reading a a thing. I, I don't know. It was on some website that said that like the nuns really don't do like the Sister Mary Catherine anymore. She would just be like Sister Catherine. Like they don't do the Mary thing. Mm-hmm. And, like that's kind of like modern nuns don't do that. So, but okay. I think. I think where I want this to be is like 70s? late 70s or 80s. Like I want Coke to be like a big thing. And I don't feel like Coke is like a huge thing anymore because people have. That's an 80s yeah, thing. So I think, I think it's going to be like late 70s, early 80s. So I think we might be transitioned where you might have like a, like some of the older nuns might have the Mary. Like with Catherine, I might end up dropping it eventually because she's young. So she might take a more modern approach. So right. I don't know. 
uh, I've spent a lot of time since I finished writing this thinking about like what got Justin and Gabriel both to these these points in their life. So I've been thinking a lot about their past mm-hmm. and trying to figure that out. So I'm gonna have to do. I already started one, but I'm gonna be doing like some brain dumps like into these characters and finally find to figure out exactly like what their deal is, like what they're looking for, like what they're what they're trying to achieve here. But I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I I mean I think it it showed. I mean you had all kinds of um I really enjoyed all the little just the little details you had in there that everything was so specific um you know your description of the the poker table and um just you know just the doors and that kind of thing just little things that just really brought it to life and made it feel concrete and wasn't you read other amateur writing right and it's just like it's so two dimensional and like it's I'm sure it's very vibrant in the author's head, but like they haven't communicated that world very well. And in this case, I think you brought every texture and every aspect of like sort of that it's, world. It's to life. something I've been trying to work on is putting like I I don't, with the exception of like a Stephen King who I love reading because I really do feel like he puts you into the world. But I'm, I'm I can also say that there's some points where you can almost like skip a paragraph of description and move on and not miss anything. Oh sure, you could you and could it, like, you could cut out a quite lot. A bit. Of, I think there's some some things like that, but it's like, you know, I came back to I came back to writing through screenwriting where a lot of these details aren't really all that necessary. Like I, like for like you said like the doors like if I was writing this as a screenplay like I wouldn't need to write about the the wood or the handles, the handles. or anything because that's not right. my job. That's some uh, production or set designer's job to figure out what the hell this is going to look like. You know, I need to put the characters, right. give a basic understanding of their setting, and then like get the action going. And mm-hmm. I feel like some of my earlier fiction felt a little more like screenplays without the screenplay formatting. So I've been trying, yeah, I've been trying to like insert a little more detail in there without being too heavy handed with it. And I hope that, yeah, no, I, I think that came through. I think you did a really good job with it. I appreciate that. I mean, I, it, I, you know, it, like I said, you know, the, the, the reader or in this case, the listener will never see it exactly the way you do right. in your head. But I think the best you can hope for is you give them enough detail that they have their own clear vision in their head of what it looks like, which, which I very much did in this case. Awesome. There was one thing I really wanted to put in there, and I, I wrote it, and then I pulled it out because I, I felt I, I felt like it was like too much. But like I had the when they were playing poker, I had one guy like one of the guys was like, "You got you got anything to eat in here?" And he went into a cupboard, and he was like, "What the hell is this?" And he's like, "Oh, those are communion wafers." And he's like, "Oh, that'll do." And they just started like <laughs> popping communion wafers. But um, it, I felt like it, it, yeah, that 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 might have been it over felt a little the too there. much. But I mean, I laughed when I wrote it, so. You know, whatever. You know, because you're not. Well, I mean, in this case, you're not writing comedy, really. You're, you know, this is it's it, at least right now. It sounds like it could still maintain a level of darkness, or um, you know, at least it's got a thriller kind of a vibe. Maybe. I don't know how I'm gonna. It's gonna be interesting to see how this evolves because right now it's almost like a crime, like thriller mystery type thing, is what I think. But there's going to be an awful lot of, like, I think internal struggle in Justin just trying to figure out, like, you know, like, there's going to be, like, you know, did I waste my life up to this point? Like, what do I want? Like, there's, so there's going to be a lot of, like, back and forth with him trying to determine um, where his life needs to go. So it's going to be, 
it's going to be I'm I'm interested to see how it evolves because I mean I have this like this short story here that kind of like shows like like that like I said that inciting incident like it's like this is where things start to change you know what I mean but um mm-hmm. it, it's going to be interesting to see like as I keep writing where it goes I'm excited about it hmm. yeah it's interesting it's not when you said uh you were you were talking about idea for novel. I you know I know that there's two other ideas that you've you've floated in the past, which are both well, very compelling. And I, the one I, that uh, you, although this sounds really interesting, the other two ideas I I hope you still have the, on the, the back one burner. that that you really want me to write that I've been talking about for like the past twenty years or whatever. Well, there's two, and one of them has to do with, um, I don't know how else to phrase it. Recla- reclaimed. Reclaimed medical waste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's that story that would be, I think if you did it artfully, it would be actually very so poignant. That and like, one, uh, it, that one is, it, but it's creepy as all get out and it's messed up. But like, I think if you did it artfully, it would be like, it's like a Cannes it, film yeah, festival that type. That one, honestly, um, that's probably a screenplay. Um, okay. I just I just the other, see that the as other a story thing and that's definitely on the back burner for right now. Yeah. Well the other one that I thought was interesting was the sort of the, yep. the backyard yep. creation. That narrative. is the other one that is in contention for my thesis. Um okay. I have determined I actually I think I don't think I have the notebook with me, but I've outlined essentially a trilogy in that world. Like a very oh, wow. I mean it's a very, very like basic outline but it's like essentially like book one i want to get to this point book two i want to get to this point and book three i want to get to this point so start you know and that's something i don't know let's see what oh wow we've talked for a while so um it's something we might be able to get into at some other time but it seems like the industry especially um science fiction fantasy and i think that that's probably science fiction i mean it's very it's not very you know yeah, probably. Um, but um, it seems like the industry really likes sequels. Like they want to know that there's a series. Like, like it's like yeah. great. You you built this world and you have this world. Like book one's great, but what's going to happen in book seven? And it's like for me, like I don't know those ones that are like seven, ten books long. I've never, I can't really give an opinion because I've never read anything other than like Harry Potter that are that many books long. Um, mm-hmm. but I think, I think a trilogy's, I think three's a, a nice good number. Um, sure. I think that one's going to require a little more research for me to do. Um, yeah, that's the not fun. So part. I I have this like constant struggle where it's like, I'm, I'm paying for this degree, right? When I'm doing my thesis, um, I'm going to have a, a one-on-one relationship with a mentor who is going to help me write the thesis so it's like do i i I probably should work on the harder one while i have while i'm paying for that right uh i mean i don't know i i don't don't know if there's like what i know is like after writing this i'm super excited about these characters so i think i'm just going to kind of ride that wave for a while yeah so that that's what i do i i run with i have many undeveloped ideas and ones that i i would like to explore Mm -hmm. someday but 
I think you have to run with what's captivated you currently because that's what's going to keep you interested and keep you actually right. producing. Right. So I think I think we're rolling with this for a while. We're going to see where it goes. It's really hard because like I just turned in an essay, so I got like 2 weeks before I need to turn in another nonfiction. So it's like I still have to write that. Uh we have another prompt that we're going to announce here in a second. Um so I got to write that. So it's just like it's just finding the time and being able to like focus my attention on whatever's got my, you know what I mean? Cause like I could sit mm-hmm. there and I could like write down paragraph after paragraph about these guys and their past and where they came from. But the entire time I'm doing that in the back of my head, I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, I should be outlining this other thing. So then right. is, is this getting my, best attention and am I doing my best work on this you know so it's just like it's it's a it's a balancing act it is so, yeah but regardless I'm real excited about these guys and if um if the uh, opportunity presents itself they might find their way into a future episode of this very podcast we'll just see nice. it's, it's, I think it's going to be harder though because the more I develop that world the the harder it's going to be to like the you know what I mean to work into well you don't want to you don't want to reveal too much of it either so we'll see i mean that was the thing with my story is that like there's so much more um you know that 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 is pertinent to the concept and it's it's you know yeah the batman aspect is there but there's there's so much Mm -hmm. more to it than that um but i you know i don't want to i don't want to spoil it right i don't want to ruin it so it's just sort of a a teaser I, i could do something where maybe like maybe i have to write justin and gabe as kids to figure out like something that happened in their past, you know? maybe. But again, that, again, it, right? Don't don't fall into the trap where your, in this case, your character development becomes more important than the story. Or whatever. I have a like, you got to maintain I have that a balance. Basic gist of the story, but I think I'm going to need like I think I'm going to be flashing back to them as younger, as younger people, especially because like uh, I revealed that you know Gabe did go to seminary. Um, they're only a year apart, so they probably would have been in seminary together. So, you know, we'll probably hit at least that in the novel because there's going to be some, you know, they were on the same path at one point. So we're going to figure out where they broke off and why. Sounds maybe a little Cain and Abel thing going on here, maybe? Maybe. Well, I don't know. do Do you have anything else? I feel like we've been talking for quite a while. Uh, I mean, ho- hopefully by the next time we we talk, um, or next time we have an episode, I'll you at least have a date, right? Either I'll at least have a date. If not, release the book. We'll see. Like I said, right? It, the, the I'm on my last read through at the moment. Um, so after that, it's just formatting and getting that cover. Um, I'm ho- hopefully a week or two away from getting the cover. So sweet. Everything should fall in line after that. Awesome. So I am looking at the Facebook group right here, and. I think we have a winning prompt. And it is Little Did We Know. Little added did we by know. Ian Lewis himself, folks. I was trying to jumpstart yeah, the conversation. Yeah, I, I was I was trying to think of something to put out there and then I saw that you already had a poll out there that didn't have that many votes and I was like we're just going to let it roll. Um that will be Little Did We Know will be episode 7 which will drop April 1st. Oh, that's interesting on April Fool's Day. <laughs> I might, nice. I might try to. We can uh, you know have what? Some fun with you know what's this. really, fi- you know what's really fantastic about that is that the uh, you know because I obviously kind of had an idea that 
um, little did we know was going to be the prompt because that was what yeah, we yeah. lead. I have an idea. The idea that I have for this story actually gels so well with the concept of April Fools. Good. That I, it's it's perfect. I'm gonna I gotta, have to, gonna have to see if I, that's gonna be fun. April Fool's Day. That's that's good. All right, fantastic. So if you want to submit a prompt for the next episode, um, you can head to the Facebook group. That's uh, Facebook.com/group/pwrittenpod. Um, I think we're gonna try to figure out uh, an additional way, if not a replacement for that method. But for right now, Facebook.com/groups/pwrittenpod. You can reach us on Twitter at at PWrittenPod, or you can go to promptlywrittenpodcast.com, and there is a contact page, and you can fill in all the little prompts, and it sends us an email. Ian, for you, where's the best place for people to get in touch with you? <laughs> well, get in touch with me, not well, really anywhere, well, right? uh, it's, Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no I'm, just, I'm just being dumb. IanLewisFiction.com, just the website, um, I'm on there. That will have all the relevant links. Fantastic. I'm at MattShagaric.com or at MattShagaric on Twitter. I have been doing a few more of those uh, writing sprints, um, not as often as I would like to, but um, I'm trying to get, uh, I'm trying to be more active on Twitter. So come yell at me and don't yell at me. I don't want you to yell at me. I'm not going to lie. I'd prefer if people didn't yell at me on Twitter, but come talk to me. That'd be fine. Um, like we said, episode seven, April 1st. Um, if you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out about this and we will talk to you again in April. All right, thanks. All right, man, later.